Welcome to the old school meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. This meeting was born online, and it's going to stay that way. That means you can attend live on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 Pacific if you'd like to. Go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. I'm Susie. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'll start my own little timer here. And uh, yeah, just very grateful to be here today and great to see everybody. I'm a compulsive overeater in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and I've been in OA since 1989. Well, actually, I had a little uh, brief flirtation with OA starting in 1979 in Philadelphia, uh, used it as a diet club, did not like hearing about God, went away for 10 years of more compulsive eating and came back very beaten and ready to to listen in 1989. Uh, that was in Connecticut, Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, I'm from a, a Jewish family that was not in any way religious or spiritual. We were uh, specifically brought up to be atheists. And uh, as I don't have trauma in my background. I had a happy family and a pretty happy life. But my dad was a well, my dad was obese. You know, I guess I can't say whether he was a compulsive eater or not, but he was obese pretty much all of my life that I knew him. Uh, he died at age 69. Uh, lung cancer actually got him before the compulsive overeating did, but he did get type 2 diabetes when he was about 45, and he had all the cardiovascular results of that. He had a, ended up with a quintuple heart bypass, a leg bypass. Uh, and it was real clear to me where I was going, even even at a young age, that I was so much like him, and I was going down that road, uh, and that scared me. That scared me plenty. It scared me enough to consider something other than the the atheistic way that I was brought up. So uh, I was I was the kind of kid. I was kind of a goody goody kid, which meant for me a lot of lying because uh, I couldn't impress people and be as goody-goody as I was trying to be without a lot of lying. And so I was kind of a weaselly little teacher's pet kid. And uh, yeah, that's just who I was, that lying was easier for me than telling the truth. I was pretty good at it, didn't get caught at it a lot. So I kept using it as a strategy, which put me you know, behind the eight ball when I got to this program. But that was much later. Uh, I wasn't very heavy as a kid, a little bit. Uh, as I got older, I got into college and used my increasing freedom and my increasing pocket money for getting food and eating food. And uh, by the time I was 22, I weighed about 140, which is honestly about what I weigh now. But it was horrifying to me at age 22 to weigh that much. And uh, in my first job, I ate myself up to about 165 and eventually 185. And the first time I got pregnant, I was 205, which was you know, truly horrifying and, you know, terrifying to me. Uh, and it wasn't because I gained 50 pounds in the pregnancy. I gained 10 pounds in the pregnancy. I started at 195. So, uh, yeah, I had that early flirtation with OA and came back in 1989, really pretty thoroughly beaten. And, you know, if they had told me at that point to walk on my hands and paint my face blue, I, I would have done it. I would have done anything. I was out of ideas, which is, you guys know, is a really good way to come in. Um, and uh, I got abstinent right away. 
Uh, again, this was in Southwest Connecticut. And uh, we started with the 30 questions at that time. And I was very happy that there was something more here than just a diet. And I got a sponsor right away. Uh, I looked for someone who had what I wanted. She was also a young mom as I was at the time. She had 10 years in program. She had come in in LA actually. And uh, uh, we worked together very well until she lost her abstinence a few months later. But I got another sponsor right away and continued to work the steps and went away on a vacation. I had nine months of abstinence, went away on a vacation, stayed abstinent through the vacation, but on the way home, I guess my stomach was upset. I was in an airport lounge. There was a fruit bowl. I ate a piece of fruit. Doesn't sound all that dangerous, but it wasn't on my food plan for that day. And it kicked me into a, a relapse. I didn't know it was a relapse, but kicked me into a return to compulsive overeating. And I was pretty confused by what was going on. Uh, I remember there was somebody in my regular Friday night meeting who had been thin when I came in and now she was heavy. And I thought maybe, maybe she knows something about relapse. I'll give her a call because I was using all the tools like I was told to do at the time. And I called her and she said, yeah, I actually just came out of relapse. Are you going to the meeting on Friday? We could do coffee after and talk about it. And I said, yeah, sure. So we went out for coffee after the meeting. And she said that she got kicked out of relapse by talking to somebody in program who said, look, there's this whole program here. Why don't you just do the program? So I thought about that a little bit. And I thought, well, what am I not doing that I could do? And I thought, well, maybe I could go to more meetings. I was going to two meetings a week, I think. So I went to a meeting a few minutes outside of my area. And I heard a speaker that morning, a Saturday morning, who had a strong AA background. And she had been abstinent in OA and been in relapse. And now, again, was nine months out of relapse. And I buzzed right up to her after the meeting and asked if she would sponsor me. And she said she would. And she sponsored me in a pretty strong AA way that she had been taught and uh, started me back at step one. And we got up through step five, I think. And then I relapsed and I told her and she started me back at step one, started working through the steps again. I relapsed again. She started me back at step one. And eventually, I just stopped telling her the truth. I was embarrassed. I kept having breaks in abstinence and I was too embarrassed to tell her. So I started lying about it and I didn't regain a ton of weight. Uh, you know, I was already a, a normal size. And I guess if I gained 10 pounds, I felt like it didn't show so much. So that began a long, long time of me having on and off abstinence and lying about it mostly, letting people celebrate abstinence anniversaries for me and, you know, doing tons of service and being in charge of everybody and sponsoring a million people. And, you know, that was me. So I moved to Spain for two years in the middle of that. Uh, in Madrid, they had uh, OA meetings in English. And, you know, I was the meeting contact and I contacted World Service. They didn't know we were there and blah, blah, blah. But when I got Connecticut after two years, it was really clear to me, at least in my own mind, that I was never going to get abstinent if I couldn't figure out how to get honest. So I picked a sponsor, someone I knew in my regular group who I just felt like I could tell her the truth about my food. I, even if the news was bad, I could just tell the truth. And I told her the truth about what I was eating every day for about a year. And at the end of that year, I was abstinent. 
And I think that absence stayed with me for a good long while, but not forever. <laughs> so, you know, my, my total in, in, you know, time was, uh, I was 17 years in this program with on and off abstinence, not a happy number. I, I wouldn't want to wish that on anybody, but that's what happened to me. And some of it was because of this huge problem for me of figuring out how to get honest, just took a long time. Some of it was, I guess I would say an incomplete willingness to surrender to the program because I kind of wanted to keep it quiet in a corner of my life and not have it, you know, invade my family life and my social life and stuff like that. But it just didn't work for me like that. I just needed a bigger commitment than that. That's, you know, that was what it took for me. So uh, I... I find that what happened was in 2006, uh, my last relapse, I went to see my mother uh, who was immediately diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer. I, I took her to, the, to a regular doctor appointment. We ended up in the ER and then in the ICU all in the same day. And uh, I went back to her apartment in Chicago uh, by myself, which I had not anticipated. And I opened every cabinet and every drawer and I ate something out of every one. And that was a relapse that went on for about six weeks till I went to a meeting with a friend. I've, I've never left away during all that time. I gotta say that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that says old school to me. I just kept coming back because I couldn't really think of another thing to do. There were plenty of times that I thought about leaving that I didn't like a meeting or something you know, bugged me, but, you know, I couldn't think of anything else to do. So I kept coming back and uh, I went to a meeting and there was again, a speaker who had been abstinent, had been in relapse and was again back uh, in recovery. And I walked out of that meeting and turned to a friend and I said, I need help. And she said, I'll, I'll help you. And she agreed to temporarily sponsor me because although I had always had a sponsor and I was always working steps, the sponsor that I had at that time just didn't have much time for me. She had kind of turned her attention to a different 12-step program. And I uh, resigned all of my millions of service positions and I signed up for uh, an outside short-term help kind of place, not a 28-day treatment kind of place, but another sort of thing that tried to mimic 28-day treatment in, in shorter bursts. And I got a lot of help from that. I used all kinds of outside help. I mean, I used nutritionists and I had used therapy and one thing and another, but you know, it was this program really that made the difference for me. 10 minutes. And thank you. So uh, yeah, what happened after that? So I've been abstinent now since 2006 and it's just been a continual journey through the steps. Uh, I was lucky enough. Uh, let's see, I moved to Richmond in 2002 and meetings were kind of weak at the time, but we had a, a really wonderful group working on intergroup and we've worked on our meetings all these years so that now we have, you know, pretty tight old schooly kind of meetings that really focus on literature and recovery. And that's been great for me. And we were able to jump right on Zoom when the time came. So that was all good. Um, I still work a big, big action plan. Uh, it's just, I need to do a lot of stuff. I need to do a lot of stuff to keep my head in the program. My head will fly out of the program immediately if I'm not committed to doing all this stuff. Again, I'm not always real happy about that, but I'm totally willing to do it because the results are so good. Um, 
I sponsor people and I have a sponsor. And uh, as I, I got to move to San Diego from 2012 to 2015, San Diego's kind of LA junior. We have pretty good, pretty strong program there. And I still go to the, the maintainers meeting uh, every Saturday more, pretty much every Saturday morning. Love it. I love that Zoom enables me to do that. And I San Diego usually in the winter and I get to come to the birthday party usually. So I expect to be there this year and definitely happy about that. But yeah, in, in San Diego, I was introduced to a form of uh, intensive big book study that also has made a huge difference for me in the last several years. I, I can tell you that I was in big book meetings from the very earliest days, but there were so many things that I failed to get out of the big book. I didn't get that it was the first 164 pages that had the actual instructions and I didn't get, I don't know, a million things. But uh, yeah, this uh, particular type of big book study has made a big difference for me and has really intensified my spiritual life. Uh, of course, I've been building a spiritual life all this time. And as I said, I've been building it from below zero, you know, very committed atheist family. So I really had to, to dig myself out of that hole before I could even start to build. But yeah, I have built it and I've built it by mostly acting as if, you know, what if there were really a higher power that would really help me with my stuff? What would I do if that were the case? You know, that's often the way that I make a decision. Uh, lately, if I'm having trouble making a decision, I will think uh, God is going to show up with a solution. I really just have to wait. God's going to show up with a solution. And, you know, God does. God does. Surprisingly enough, shockingly enough, God does show up with solutions in my life. Um, I knew that I didn't have real surrender. I knew that for a long time. There was somebody back in the meetings in Connecticut who used to say, I won't eat if my ass falls off. If my ass falls off, I won't eat. And I was like, oh, if my ass fell off, I would definitely be eating. You know, she has something that I don't have. How do I get it? How do I get it? And what I found for me, and I found after a long time and the hard way is I just had to pray for surrender as a gift. You know, I read some of the, one of the doctors that they gave me material right in the beginning, right in my earliest days. And, uh, he said that it was an unconscious process that, you know, you can't make it happen with your conscious mind, but I didn't really get it. But what I get out of that now is, yeah, I can't make it happen with my will, but I can ask for it. And when I came out of that relapse in 2006, I believe that was after about a year and a half or two years of being on my knees morning and night, just begging, begging for surrender. And it's still part of my morning writing every day my favorite prayer that I made up, which is God, please bust my will and give me surrender. Cause I really, really need that prayer every day. Uh, it helps me to write it out. That way it goes, you know, through my eyes and through my hand. And I don't know, I just still really need it. And uh, yeah, so I'll just tell you the, the hard part and the sad part, but it's the, the question here on my little format is, uh, uh, it's, it's something about how, how I stay abstinent and why I stay abstinent. And I'll just tell you that why I stay abstinent is, you know, not only do I believe that my father pretty nearly died of this disease, just that the lung cancer got him first, but now this past summer, my younger sister definitely died of this disease because she got diagnosed with, she was obese. She got diagnosed with type two diabetes. 
she got all kinds of cardiovascular problems. And guess what? Nowadays it's changed and they don't give heart bypasses to diabetics. I didn't know that, or at least that's what she was told. And that's because, you know, they don't heal well and the outcomes are not good. So, uh, yeah, she, she died very suddenly this summer. Not that she, she, she knew she had heart trouble, but I think she was not expecting to, to die. So she was 66. I'm 70. I didn't really expect to outlive her. I truly did not. I didn't expect to outlive my dad, but I truly have. My health is good. You know, I'm still married to the same guy. I have two grown daughters that I have good relationships with. Uh, I feel useful. I know I help people in, in Graham, and that makes me feel great. Um, I'm definitely not prey to misery and depression the way that I once was. Um, I, I had to pick up a second program because of the, the level of people pleasing that I suffer from, which pretty much was always the thing that kicked me into a relapse. And, uh, you know, I, by working that out, one of the promises that I had not gotten before, which was, I suddenly began to know how to handle situations that had used to baffle me. And uh, life goes, life goes pretty well now. I mean, I'm glad to say, uh, as I said, 70 and healthy and able to do, you know, what I want to do in terms of activity and good relations with family and friends. And that's why I no, I have to stay abstinent. I don't have a choice. This is the life I want. I will do anything to keep having it. And it's very clear to me what activities I need to do and that I need to set aside time for my higher power all through the day. I have to take direction all through the day. It was easy before to just sort of leave God at home in the morning after prayers and come home and touch base at night. Now, now it's got to be all through the day. So that's about it for me. And thanks again for having me and uh, just so glad to be here.